welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. My brother Darren will be joining us shortly. This is Ag PhD Radio, and we would love to take your phone call throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So right now, we are just getting a lot of questions from people saying, hey, my soil is really cold. How can I plant when my soil is so cold? So before we get to anything else today, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about this at first, because right away, people think, oh, I have to, they've heard, oh, I've got to have my soil temp at least 50 degrees, or maybe even 55. But we have just found over the years that you don't have to be that warm to still be successful in your field. Now, it's different. It's really different if you're from the southern United States versus if you're from where we're at in South Dakota versus, let's say, up in Canada. Um, we, we deal with really cold soil temperatures in our region. In fact, we were supposed to start planting corn a couple of days ago, and here's what happened. We were out and doing a little tillage just prior to planting, and what were we pulling up? Ice chunks. And I said, okay, guys, we can wait another day or two. But the soil temp was upper 30s. I'm perfectly comfortable with that planting corn, and for that matter, even soybeans. But I would say I'm, I'm not going to look at a regular seed treatment, and I'm not going to just throw the seed out there and call it good. we got to figure out a way to have that seed survive in the soil. So the biggest thing that we're looking at, number one, is having a good fungicide package uh, in terms of that seed treatment. And so I don't care, again, if we're talking corn, soybeans, wheat, any crop, that's a real key, having good fungicide there. Another big thing is insecticide, because when, if you think about this for just a second, the seed actually can do pretty well, as long as you have a good cold germination score. But the problem is, before the seed emerges from the ground, we've had seed sit as long in the ground as six weeks. There's no joke. Corn seed has sat in the ground six weeks, came up fine, yielded great, everything was fine. You can do that. But when it's going to sit in the ground that long, then you just have to understand, hey, it's already under enough stress. And now if there are diseases or insects or anything else, um, it just sets it over the top. So that's why the fungicide insecticide thing is so important. And then the next thing is, in terms of biologicals or naturals, we now have packages or different combinations that we're using that are able to pop that seed out of the ground 10 to 20% faster. That's been a really big deal for us. And that's, those are things that we've been experimenting with for 20 years. And just probably in the last half a dozen years, we've kind of figured out, ooh, let's do this and this and throw that in there on that seed treatment. And then we're able to get that seed out of the ground faster. So those are probably the most important things that I would say, number one. The, the next thing is you have to look real hard at seed to soil contact. So if you're going to start planting, okay, it's just like the other day when I said we were going to plant and we had upper 30s for soil temp. I don't care, couldn't care less about the soil temp, doesn't matter. What does matter is the date, number one, and then is the soil fit, number two. So by date, what I'm talking about is we want to plant after the first crop insurance date. And you can say, well, I think the crop insurance date should be earlier, and I just want to plant earlier than that. Look, you can do that, but make sure you're talking to your insurance provider, because now if, if you get frosted out, you might not be covered at all, well, you want to be covered when your crop is worth as much as it could potentially be this year. So I'm always going to tell somebody, plant after that first date. Plus the fact that 
look, as an agronomist and as a farmer, I think I'm a pretty smart guy. But I, I have to say, who's going to be smarter than me? The person, or in this case, the company that has all the data. So when you look at the insurance company, they have all the information on everybody all over the place. And what I'm trying to say here is they know when people have failures. And that's the reason why they have the insurance dates starting at a certain point for your first plant date. So that's a really big thing. But anyway, coming back to this seed soil contact, it's absolutely crucial. If you do not have good, good seed to soil contact, you're not going to get good germination, number one. But number two, even if you do, it's going to be inconsistent. And so that's where we see more uneven stands. Now, by having the soil fit, what I mean by that is we don't want to mud the crop in. Or, now, or have frost it, junks yeah. come out, like you were saying, well, that we had on our own farm. Yeah. And, and you're the frost yeah. planter guy, Brian. So you're, you're known well, as, I'm not scared of frost in the ground, but you're right. If the soil well, conditions not fit, we're just setting ourselves up for disaster. But, but see, I don't mind if there's frost in the ground down deep. And that's, that's really what I, what I, where I'm, I'm talking about the frost thing. So we have, we've identified on our farm, we've got a frost layer left that's down at around 20 to 24 inches. Okay, I'm fine with that. It's okay. You can't plant when the top three inches are so hard as a rock and they're frozen. That's a whole different deal. But anyway, this seed to soil contact is absolutely critical. We don't want open trenches. We want the, the soil to be fit so, so you can fit the seed back or, or fit the soil back in there, push the soil down or right around that seed. And then you get good germination, good emergence, and what we're after is consistent stands. Well, that's really important. And as you're getting started, you want to make sure conditions are good. And I get it. Everybody's looking at, hey, if I can plant more days in April, that's less days in May that I have to plant. And that fits my ideal window. But you've got to have good days because we know oftentimes if you're talking about May 5th, you might have great, great conditions there in a perfect stand. You don't want to give up a huge amount on your stand by planting early. And that's, you know, with a lot of the points you made there, Brian, things that guys weren't doing 15 years ago that they've got access to. Now they got things like Zyway that you can use. They've got uh, other things that you can put in furrow. You mentioned the biologicals. We've got better equipment to get better seed to soil contact and to track things and be more precise. We just have a lot of advantages that we didn't have and we got way bigger equipment so we can get things done so fast. It's amazing what percentage of the crop can go in in a week. That's why we really want to wait till we get the crop insurance date and have great soil conditions now it's time to pull the trigger and especially when we're talking about early planting you just have to do all those steps right like for soybeans for example we get a lot of guys talking about early planting on soybeans you need to put an inoculant out there so you have great nodulation on your beans we'll talk about soybean inoculants on today's program and take your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, three inches from the seed and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. In stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. 
Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low Use Rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about soybean inoculants and I know everybody wants to talk about planting and and I do too and we got a little discussion in on early planting which in the north it's early now further south of course it's not quite so early but some of the things that we were talking about is just doing everything right because you just get one chance to plant and this is your chance on soybeans for example to have good nodulation by using a good quality inoculant. So we're talking about soybean inoculants on today's show, and I think that inoculant term has really expanded in recent years with all the different biological-type products that are available, and we're inoculating seed with lots of different things now. It's not just rhizobia bacteria. So if you want to add to this discussion or ask a question, our phone lines will be open at 844 44 ag phd head down to arkansas got our friend matt miles on he's with the extreme ag group and also a hundred bushel bean grower so always good to ask you questions when it comes to soybeans matt thanks for being on yes sir thank you for having me all right soybean inoculant sure changed a lot i remember when i was a kid we would open jugs and if they smelled like manure my dad would say oh that one's bad let's set it aside and use a different one because they just didn't have near the technology for preserving rhizobia bacteria and they also didn't have as good as strains as we're working with now what have you seen over your farming career with soybean inoculants they they've definitely gotten gotten better to the point that you know, now sometimes if you open up one that does smell like cow manure, you're like, well, this is going to be a really good one, <laughs> uh, you know, because of the biology and stuff that's in there today. Uh, but they've come a long ways. You know, the shelf life on them, uh, you know, used to, if you inoculated seed, what would you have, a, you know, maybe a week, three or four days, you yep. had to get it out or the inoculant would start breaking down. Uh, you know, that they've gotten to where they can res- preserve that more. And uh, like you said, with the biology that's come out now, you know, they're combining some of these things together. Uh, And it it, it is a little confusing because there's so many different, you know, variations of inoculant out there now. But but we feel like it's mandatory to have some type of inoculant out there for nodulation, even though, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll be every other year soybeans, which, you know, is supposed to keep you from not 
having to use it, but we just feel like the more nodules we can get on that plant, the better off we are. Yeah, and, and the placement of those nodules, too, and this is something pretty interesting, I think. When you get those nodules on the taproot, they are so much more powerful in delivering nitrogen to the plant than the nodules that are way out on the lateral roots. And when we look at, at beans that have been inoculated, we see that. We see more colonization right along that taproot, and I think that's a big thing, too, versus just relying on whatever rhizobia bacteria are left in the soil. Absolutely agree. You know, when you when you shovel up a whole soybean plant and I start seeing, you know, the nodules close to that taproot or close to that main main stem root, I feel like I'm getting a you know, a better job. And that's what that promotes. You know, you cannot inoculate and you'll get those you'll get nodules if you've had beans on the on the land before. But if you want those prime uh I call them, you know, the main the front line soldiers, uh, you definitely need them in there close to the plant. Have you noticed a big difference, Matt, with other treatments that you're doing in season, knocking off nodules or reducing nodulation, or do you think the table is really set at planting? I think it's set at planting. Now, I haven't, you know, did any tests or researched as to whether we're knocking them off. Of course, in the old days, you know, we plow. We had to plow middle for the fur irrigation. And of course, you know, as that plant got bigger, depending on when you plowed it, we would knock some off at that point. But, uh, you know, I, I haven't really, I, I think, I think what you do at planting, like you said, you get one shot and with the shortage of seed this year, whether you're talking about, you know, cotton, corn, soybeans, whatever that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of replant seed in the varieties we want. So everything you can do, we were working on our cotton in for a program today and I was adding a cup. I think I was adding uh, some more seed and some imidacloprin to it. And, you know, that might be a little bit of an overkill in a normal year, but there's no cottonseed supply out there to replant. So we've got to have everything, you know, that we've got in our toolbox at planting. Not only is that the most important time, you know, we feel like we have is that stand establishment, but also this year being as the supply is so short. You know, soybeans are going to be a little bit the same way. There's been a lot of low germination soybeans all across the country. It's amazing. Farmers that I talk to and Gosh, tons of states have said, man, my suppliers are telling me there's a lot of 70 and 80% germs out there. We got to treat them. And one of the things that we're hearing is pod and stem blight was bad in some soybean growing areas where they're having to add something uh, for a seed treatment on there that will control that. And not all seed treatments will. So that's just something else that, that you got to think about. I'm glad you brought that up about cotton. Uh, another crop, since you're in Arkansas, I was thinking about is rice. If you've got rice in the rotation and flooding is part of your normal practice, that's got to hurt a lot of the biology in the soil, doesn't it? When you know you're going to be flooded for a certain period of time, does that change your inoculant program at all? Well, most of our rice is zero grade, so so it's continuous rice. And then now we went to, uh, to answer your question, yes, back, back in the old days when we did the levees, you know, the rice levees and had the patties, that we flooded and then we come back with soybeans the next year. Uh, you know, you, everything goes, you know, with, with the water, everything goes, uh, aerobic, anaerobic, whichever one I'm getting them confused. Yeah, right anaerobic. Now. You're but, right. Uh, anaerobic, yeah. Anaerobic. And, uh, but you know, nowadays we, the new way of growing rice on, on nine, uh, zero grade ground is, is row rice. So we're growing that rice just like a, a corn crop or a soybean crop. Now we will wet it down more, then we will our corn or our soybeans. But the misconception about rice, 
rice is only flooded because of weed control. Uh, rice doesn't necessarily need to live in the water. The good thing about it is it can. So you're able to control a lot of weeds through that, through that flood management. But we've been able to take these, these regular, uh, I call them conventional rice fields and, and go to the row rice and are still, uh, you know, that, that way we're not actually keeping that ground as wet as we would if we were in a flood, flood area. Interesting. Okay. Another thing that comes up when you raise hundred bushel soybeans, you need a lot of nitrogen to raise that crop. And obviously nodules can produce some of that, but even with great nodulation, you still have to add nitrogen. Don't you, if you're shooting for super high yields? You do. Uh, we don't, we don't have to add that because of our litter program. Cause we're, we're a ton to two tons an acre, depending on phosphorus needs. You know, we, we actually grid sample, and then we, we apply our litter based on what our phosphorus needs is. And so we pretty much take care of that nitrogen uh, through the litter. Now, it's tied up. You know, if you go out there and try to use litter as your nitrogen the first year, you know, about half to uh, maybe a little more of that nitrogen is tied up in that litter to the following year. But we've been doing this now for, you know, for 15 years. So we have residual nitrogen all the time coming from that litter. But without the presence of litter, uh, when you get to the 70, 75 bushel range, uh, you know, in my opinion, you need to start add, adding some some nitrogen. We've had trouble getting results out of it because we have so much residual nitrogen for our, from our litter. But but I, I know that the data says that you know when you get up in them higher yields, you need the you need the extra nitrogen. Yeah, there's a lot of tips and tricks as you get higher up. There just isn't one single silver bullet out there. There's a whole bunch of them. And I know just listening to you and listening to uh, Rob Dedman talk about what you guys are doing and how you're getting 100 bushel soybeans, it, it's it's a big process. And I, I love that you mentioned earlier in the discussion, too, that, uh, hey, we're changing a few things this year based on this year's conditions. And I, I'd say that's a pretty safe bet. I bet you're changing a few things every year, just depending on what kind of year you get thrown at you yep it's a move it's a it's definitely a, a moving target and you know getting from 70 to or 60 to 70 75 is is pretty easy get I, I can help a guy do that pretty easy getting from 75 to to 90 9500 we start hitting some pretty big walls you know and just have to find little small things you know that make a difference as we go to add up to maybe one big thing yeah, great advice. We're talking with Matt Miles here down in Arkansas. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being generous with your time and your information on today's show. Good luck to you guys this spring. Yes, sir. Thank you. Talking about soybean inoculants on today's show. And, man, what a great guest to start with, Matt. Matt just does such a good job down there. And and I think his advice is right on the money, too. There's a lot of little things, and it might be different little things for your operation versus mine. But one of those building blocks is starting the beans out well. Uh, that's why we're talking about soybean inoculants on today's show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Deverne in Missouri says, After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about soybean inoculants on today's show. And man, we got a bunch of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll get to in a little bit. If you have a question for us, you can call us right now eight four four forty four Ag PhD. Be happy to chat with you, or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. You're in for a treat again. We've got Hans Kandel with us right now with North Dakota State University to talk a little about inoculants. Hans, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. You know, I was thinking about your state of North Dakota, and of course there's snowflakes flying in the air again today. It's just, it's quite the April up there to be sure. But uh, just thinking about how conditions change across the state. And for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with North Dakota, you've got the west end of North Dakota that's pretty dry and has uh, bad lands on the, the west end. you got the east end that sometimes can be flooded. It's heavy, flat, black ground. And then you got everything in between. Uh, when we talk about inoculants, I'm betting as you cross the state, you might have a little different recommendation or different concerns for for growers as you go from one area to the next. Correct. You know, and part of it has to do with, uh, you know, the conditions, but also with the cropping uh, rotation, of course, when you go to the west. 
we have more wheat and uh, maybe other crops. So maybe you don't grow uh, as much uh, soybeans in the rotation as uh, people might do in the east where we have uh, corn and then soybeans. Uh, There's a closer rotation. So especially in the west where the conditions are even a bit, uh, you know, we have drought, uh, soil conditions are not always good. It's always uh, maybe better to uh, be sure that you get enough uh, bacteria near those roots. So inoculation is, is really important. And in the west we have also a lot of new growers and for the new growers it is kind of a must you cannot just uh, assume that uh, bacteria are there because they're not those are not naturally occurring for soybeans at least so we need to inoculate so uh, we stress a lot in the western part if you're a new grower make sure you inoculate yeah the good thing about that is inoculant is cheap with all the expenses farmers have to face and oh man it's ten dollars here twenty dollars there a hundred dollars there a lot of inoculants are a couple of bucks so it's it's not, not a huge expense, but I think the bad part about that is when it's such a low-priced additive, people think, well, maybe it's not that important, but I agree with you, Hans. It, it's super important, and for the guys, especially when you look at that three-year rotation where you've got a lot of cereals in there, or, or the guy that just doesn't plant beans hardly ever, uh, it, it's super important, and we're often seeing growers double inoculate and have really good success with that. Okay, how about the guys yeah, in the soybean growing areas, Hans? Because yeah. I, I think about some of the problems, like on the east end of your state, Iron deficiency chlorosis is one of the things guys talk about a lot. How about in those areas? What do you do? Yeah, so in in the areas, of course, where we have stress on the plants, we have less root growth, but also we see that there are fewer nodules. I've uh, dug up many plants in IDC plots, and definitely there are fewer nodules there. So uh, the plant is under stress. Um, so the, the number one thing to do, of course, is select a variety that is the most tolerant. Also with SCN, you know, that uh, attacks the roots. So you weaken the roots, you also get less nodulation. So farmers need to know if they have IDC, select a good variety, and then, you know, make sure you got enough inoculant uh, on your beans. And also if you have an issue with SCN, make sure you get a variety that is tolerant because anytime the root is affected, uh, by stress, it is either phytophthora stress, IDC, or, you know, uh, SCN, uh, we will see a reduction in nodulation. We've been talking about our farm. We do a lot of soil testing on our farm, and we did one-acre grids across about the entire farm last fall, and we were shocked to see how much nitrogen was left in our soil coming out of a hot, dry year with organic mineralization, with drought, so some of the yields weren't as good as we were hoping they were going to be, and everything else that went into it. You had some tough conditions in North Dakota. What do you see for carryover nitrogen? Yes, we have the same question. A lot of growers are asking, you know, what is happening if you have a high nitrogen? Well, there's an interaction, of course, between uh, the bacteria that uh, make nitrogen and the available nitrogen. So the plant is basically lazy. If it has nitrogen available, it will take up nitrogen and we have less nodulation. So we did an interesting project. We had pots made without uh, N and we had pots with N where we had about 100 pounds of N equal to 100 pounds per acre N. And we uh, put uh, soybeans in them with 
inoculant and then let count, uh, the farmers count the number of nodules. And if you are thinking about the V2 stage, you had maybe two, three nodules where there was nitrogen, where you had 25 where there was no, nit uh, no nitrogen applied. So the effect of nitrogen is, you know, very dramatic uh, on the nodulation. Plants will utilize the nitrogen if it is freely available. And also, if you think about the size of the nodules, they, the, the size is definitely smaller when there is nitrogen available. So what do you do? If you have nitrogen and you are planning to grow soybeans, I wouldn't even worry too much about it because the plant will take up the nitrogen that is there. But you lose, in a sense, the nitrogen because the plant could have made it itself. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. And for the guys who are going into a crop like wheat or corn, they're pretty darn happy about a little bit of extra end yes. sitting there yeah. in the soil extra that end. that the, it's less they've got to pay for at a dollar a unit. But but the soybean guys, we always get that question. Um, another thing that, that a lot of times we see along the eastern side of North Dakota is flooding. And I know when soils go anaerobic, our last guest that was on is from Arkansas, and he was saying, man, when soils go anaerobic, we have a lot of issues, and, and we definitely want to be inoculating do you have the same thing because I, I would guess for a lot of those guys up the red river valley they're they're talking about inoculant every year aren't they yeah so you're right exactly what is a bacteria is a live organism so you put a, a lot of moisture into the ground and you have these flooding events there is no no oxygen for those bacteria to to live either so you get a, a decline in the population of bacteria so it is a numbers game. We need the bacteria. So if they die because of excess moisture, we better inoculate. So you're you're right in in those areas that we have uh, stress conditions with excess moisture. We always say uh, make sure you get uh, enough inoculant there so that uh, the plant can have that uh, beneficial relationship. Speaking of that relationship, you've got other crops. You've got edible beans, peas, pulse crops, those types of things. Uh, is a lot of the same information available in terms of uh, inoculants and, and benefits for those crops? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked because I've done quite a bit of work also on dry beans. And although the dry beans uh, as a species doesn't nodulate as much, still we do see a benefit if you inoculate uh, dry beans uh, so we have to make sure that we use the correct uh, bacteria. So talk to your dealer. If you need for dry beans, ask for dry bean inoculant, peas, pea inoculant, soybeans, of course, uh, soybean inoculant. So they're very uh, specific to the species, but the story is basically the same. Uh, soybeans, a really good nodulator. Dry beans, not so good. Pea, a really good nodulator too, but use the right uh, inoculant uh, strain. Yeah, a lot of information here to, to get your arms around. And, of course, we're talking with Hans Kendell with North Dakota State University. A lot of that available on, on the website. Uh, if you look up North Dakota State and you look up Hans, you'll, you'll find a lot of what he's talking about here. Hans, uh, how about for your plots this spring? Have you got too much snow? Are you worried about getting things in? Or is this just kind of normal and you know, ah, it's going to warm up. We're not worried. Yeah, you know, you have been talking a lot, and you probably know that I have some uh, trial plots on tile drain ground, so I'm not too worried about those. I've got a few uh, in places where it is wet. We will be late planting, and some of the studies that I've done is if we are in May and we delay planting, you know, we give up some yield potential for soybeans. So uh, if we can get into the plot, don't wait. Uh, you know, 
thinking about uh, the soil temperature needs to be 50 degrees and no frost in the forecast. I'm just thinking May now. I'm not talking sure, April. Sure. I'm talking ahead about two weeks from now. We start to be in May. Uh, if the conditions are improving, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to, to plant, you know, in that middle of May. Well, good luck to you, Hans. Good luck to all the farmers in North Dakota as well. You got, you've had a tough April, but, but hopefully May yes, makes up do. for it. Yes, thank you so much. You bet. We're talking about soybean inoculants on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we've also got the Ag PhD mailbag coming up later in the show. You can email questions to us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo, it's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall.
listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Martin Studio, talking about soybean inoculants. Yes, soybean planting is rolling in some parts of the country and still yet to get started in other areas like our farm, for example. Man, I wish we had a few beans in the ground, but we don't yet because the weather just hasn't been right. But one of the things that I know we like to do on our beans is put a good soybean inoculant on there and try and influence nodulation the best that we can. Get one shot a year to do that, and we, we just don't want to miss it. But you may be thinking something different. You may say, I don't know, we haven't been doing it, haven't been excited about it, or just need more information. That's one of the reasons that we're talking about soybean inoculants today. Got Ed Lentz on with us right now with Ohio State to talk about it. Ed, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, lots of questions on inoculant. Uh, probably the biggest one that we get is return on investment. Is it worth doing? Does it financially pay over the years? Do you still run inoculant trials and, and look at yield differences, or is that something that you feel has already been proven out? Well, you know, it's kind of a new wave of inoculants going on here because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of microbes that have been added to them uh, besides just the, the old rhizobia. And so, yes, we've got pretty extensive testing going on at Ohio State this year and a lot of other states in cooperation to kind of sort all this stuff out because it's not just a straight uh, uh, Brady rhizobia anymore. There's a lot of things being put in there, and there's been a lot of things being requested of a farmer to do to make sure they stay alive. And I think that's the biggest challenge a farmer is going to have is make sure that the inoculant you use is viable uh, when you put it on there, or you may have already be dead and dead dead at start anyway. That is a great point. So, yes, I, I think it's probably more question in the news today than it has been for the last five or six years. Hey, what are some of the things that you're finding that help keep them alive more? We, we've been talking about a number of these things, too, that we want to keep things like chlorinated water out of the tank. That seems like a pretty obvious one. But, but what are some of the other things that, that you can do to help these living microbes survive a lot longer? Well, I think it's I think it's a practical question that the companies that are that are making these got to ask too, because we know once it hits the soil, you're in, you can't control that environment, and so they need to be a product that's pretty tough to start with because it's got to compete with the native ones if you're really going to get that boost of them being super bugs and super inoculators or super nitrogen fixers too. And so I guess I'm I'm I don't have a specific answer i have a lot of these concerns as an agronomist if i have to go through all these hoops and then i throw it in the soil uh where it doesn't matter because now it's on its own i think that that transport method or that formulation is probably going to be the most important thing down the road and i think we're still learning about that and i think the companies that are on cutting edge of this are still learning too what's the best way so i think the the farmer like almost like our old days <laughs> Uh, don't let it dry out. Don't leave it on your cab up there on the on the dashboard all day. Uh, follow the directions. But I don't know if we're going to be willing to follow all the hoops that some of these want us to do. Okay. Uh, and, how about? And, and that's something the farmer's going to have to decide. And the thing is, you probably won't see it. Uh, one way or the other, so uh, it's hard for a farmer to measure it. It, it is. It, it can certainly be. And a lot of times we're talking about things that are going to provide a couple of bushels of yield gain, which this year is more than $20 an acre for just a, a couple dollar cost. They can, the return on investment can be great, but you're right. It's hard to measure those smaller yield increases uh, out in a field. Now, yeah, before we got all these super ones coming on board, we oftentimes thought it was cheap insurance. Yeah, because like, yeah. the data would back that up from from research studies, 
But now with all these other concoctions and being charged more in that, uh, that question's got to be asked again. Uh, is it, am I going to get my investment back? It's it's a different game today. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. If you're spending $10, $20, $30, that's, uh, that's real money out there that, that adds up quick. Yes. So you want to make sure you're doing something right. And you mentioned just the, the form that the product comes in. And I think about the old rhizobia bacteria. It was generally a choice of peat-based versus liquid-based. Did you have a big preference with I, that, or did you see good luck with both? Well, good luck with both. Once again, it comes back to trying to keep the thing moist so it doesn't totally dry out. Uh, I think for a lot of it, it was preference for the handler. Uh, whether you The peat one, uh, I think a lot of people let it dry it out and didn't know it because it was peat-based. Already had kind of a dry country feel where the, where the liquid one, you already knew it was liquid. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think both of them, when they follow directions, were adequate. You know, you get you get a lot of questions throughout the year. Is it mainly questions about some of this new wave of inoculants, as you describe it, or, or are guys still asking about the rhizobia-type products? Uh, more the new wave. I mean, we are, we are being, the industry is really inundated. Uh, I call it the probiotics of soils and plants. Uh, you know, it's, it's all new science. It all on, on paper and theory looks good, but there's not a lot of data to back it up one way or the other. Sure, sure. It's kind of like our probiotics for people, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, we're, we're just looking as, as uh, science is bringing things forward and, and all the private companies are bringing things forward at a very rapid pace. It's hard to be ahead of that and, and have tons of data. And, and then you get put in that tight spot of, oh, gosh, I got all these choices. Which ones is going to be best? That, that has to be tough. So you mentioned there's a lot of universities pulling together to, to try and compile as much data as you can fast. Right. And, and I think this year, after this year, we'll get a lot more information, uh, whether it's going to lead us down a direction. But it's, there is a concerted effort out there because there, we are being, uh, the, the producers out there are being hit with so many things. And it's unusual. It's kind of a shift in the industry marketing where we're going to hit it with sales, we're going to hit it with advertising, uh, and, and be kind of maybe skimpy on working with universities to see if it backs up over advertising. So it's, uh, I think it's still a buyer beware in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it, it sure when is. You got, when, you, when you got beans at the price there are, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to try things. But as I always said, how much, all these things are insurance markers for that high yield. How much insurance do you buy? You, you buy enough of it, your, your possibility may go away. Yeah, and we always talk about, too, try things on a small scale, because if it takes you backwards or it costs you money, you don't want that to be on a big scale. So we're, we're always looking for smaller trials, at least the first year or two, till you kind of prove things out and get to know how to handle them. Because as you mentioned, some of these products have several additional steps you have to take, and I don't know that everybody's prepared to do that. Well, I, I know I'm not on some of them, and I like what I call honesty strips. Uh, if you're going to do it, at least leave one strip, you don't do it. Or if you want to try it, do it on one strip and not the whole field. And then we'll just see what happens. I know it's not uh, statistical science, but it's an indicator. Too often farmers will try these new things and they don't have any way of, of evaluating it one way or the other. And, and when you do that, you've either said, yep, I'm going with it or I'm not. And so that's why I call them honesty strips to kind of keep me as an honest as a producer is a good decision or do I want to do more of this in the future? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's just important to mark these things out, communicate with other people in the operation. I, I talk to farmers all the time and say, well, I had some strips out there that I left for checks. And then somebody combined through them at midnight and <laughs> didn't keep track of <laughs> yeah. where things were. We can do this. And here's here's a big challenge I see, Ed, is guys just need to slow down at planting, make sure they enter things correctly on their monitors. And a lot of that will keep track of itself at planting time if you get it just Mark down, and I know even on our own farm operation, sometimes we'll put a different operator in the cab. They'll get impatient and just say, "We gotta go," or they'll click on something and it's not the right thing. And man, it's hard to sort that stuff out later if you don't mark it right in the spring. I see. Once the planting begins, I see it like a horse race. The gates open and the horse is running, and we're not quite sure what the horse is doing because it's out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. A lot of us do that when we plan. It's like I'm going now, man. We're rolling. I don't know what I'm. What records are on, but we're moving. <laughs> and and we we can all joke about it after the season, but it is so true yeah. in season how, how much we're pushing to get things done. But you know, hey, it's it's fun talking about this, Ed, and and I'm so thankful that you guys are doing the amount of research that you are doing on things like inoculants that we're talking about today. Thanks for what you do. Good luck here going into the spring, and look forward to talking to you again. Well, thank you for including Ohio in your discussion, and good luck to the rest of the country getting this planning done. You bet. Thank you. Yeah, we're talking soybean inoculants today, just one step uh, towards having a successful soybean crop this year. But certainly there's a lot of other things going on around planting, and we're going to dive into some of those questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this short break. If you have a question, there's still time to get your call in at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Yeah, already stuff going on around the home too got one in from rusty he said we're using tempo out around the corn cribs to keep moths out of the ear corn uh and and keep things out of the yard too hey rusty thanks for the feedback Um, we'll get back to more of your questions right after this it's planting season race against the clock season mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like john deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster that makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season see what you have to gain at johndeere.com gain ground It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. 
At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Farmers everywhere are discovering the benefits of the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Dick from Iowa says, In every case, our germination rate and stand was better than expected. When digging behind the planter, we always found the total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See more farmer stories and order your germinators for spring delivery today at farmshopmfg.com. Fight resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide resistant strains. Tough 5EC has a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough 5EC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we've got a bunch of questions that have come in to the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's head there now. It's the mailbag. All right. First, I'm going to see how many I can get through here today because we've got so many and a lot of these end up being timely things too. Uh, so first of all, we got this one from Matt. He said, I'm a first year strip tiller and I'm curious, have you guys done experiments comparing the depth of strip till passes? And what would be the shallowest depth you would go? Is four to five inches too shallow? Well, uh, Matt, there's so many factors going on here that um, there isn't just one answer. And it's going to be fun for you as you get going in strip till to to just learn and do some comparison on your farm. So, yeah, we've run a lot of different depths with the strip till. So it depends on if we're trying to take out compaction. Uh, for example, say we have compaction layer that's out there that's six inches deep. We'll try and run below that. And if we do, that really helps because now our root system can get right through that and go. If you ran shallow and you only ran four to five inches, if you had compaction, down at six inches, well, you're going to be really sad that you didn't run a little bit deeper because your roots are going to have a floor to them. And uh, also your access to water and nutrients and so forth kind of runs out there too. So just check if you've got any compaction that will help determine how deep you need to run. And then if you're running a shank, which we normally will only do in the fall, you can run a little bit deeper. If you're running coulters, well, then then that depends. Uh, that kind of influences how deep you actually can run and do a good job. So just make sure you're doing a good job building your, your berm up in the fall, which in the spring doesn't have to be as big, uh, but building your seed bed that you're going to, to plant into. As long as you're building a good seed bed, dealing with residue, dealing with compaction and getting nutrient spread if you decide to do that as well, it doesn't really matter to me what the depth is. We've done some down to 12 inches deep with a shank, put nutrients down, some of them deep, some of them maybe at four to six inches. We really like that for drought drought proofing our crop, we always call it. Doesn't, doesn't mean we're 
not going to still be susceptible to drought, but we're more tolerant because we've got roots down where moisture is going to be and where we can access them through the year. So that's what we've done. And yeah, if, if compaction isn't involved, four to five inches is just fine, but I would just do a little bit of digging. So dig before you do the strips. And then after you do the strips, just stick a, we use a tile spade, just stick a tile spade right down in there and just see, can I get through or, or a soil probe um, or compaction test or whatever just to see if you've got any resistance if not you're going to be just fine hey as other questions come up though matt please let us know we'd love to help all right uh, patrick had a comment uh, he said we were talking about crop rotation and he said in his experience plants do not like to grow in the same species dead root mass so we, we will see uh, problems with that and and a lot of times uh, growers will say well I've got an allelopathy from the previous roots that that is still fighting off competition um, that that is something that that I think as you go and look at crop rotation yeah we do like uh, soybeans on our farm back into corn residue and so forth but we still can do continuous cropping we just oftentimes are not putting that right on last year's root mass so that's kind of a big deal too uh, I get a caller on the line, Wyatt here. Let's jump to the phone lines. Uh, Wyatt, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Good, good. What can we do for you? Um, so right now we uh, farm here in the Panhandle of Oklahoma. We've got a farm. Uh, we've grown wheat on it, but we're thinking about changing something up because we are, we've got some sort of grass growing in it. So what is your, I guess, what's the best advice on growing that Well, uh, that there are a lot of choices, of course. What what other crops are in your rotation? Um, Do millet. You, millet. Yeah, mainly raise it hay. Yeah, we're we're mainly on the hay basis uh, and everything like that. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, it's tough when it's all grass crops. Grass weeds are going to be the biggest challenge. Um, in between crops, of course, you can always do a Roundup burn down. Roundup does a nice job controlling most grasses out there. There are a few exceptions, but most grasses, Roundup does a pretty nice job controlling. Uh, tillage can certainly help if you're in that environment where, where a guy can do some tillage with annual grasses if we can control them before they go to seed obviously it makes it easier for next year but then let's just talk about wheat we've got options of pre-emerge herbicides uh, whether you use a, an ALS product like prepare or you use something like a group 15 zidua that would be a, a decent option that you could use going into wheat and try and get some soil residual control of grass weeds and then post-emergent wheat you've got quite a few options, whether it's axial and spring wheat, or um, there are a lot longer lasting products that could be potentially used for winter wheat, but I guess you just have to see about your rotation with millet. Uh, with millet in the rotation, I don't think you want anything too long lasting, but identifying that grass species is going to be kind of a key for you. If you can figure out if there's just one species, if it's foxtails, well, we get quite a few choices. Uh, axial would probably be as good as any. Uh, if it's something that's a perennial grass, that's going to be a lot more of a challenge. So say it's Johnson grass or say it's cheat grass or, well, not cheat grass, but say it's it, Johnson grass it, or something perennial, it's going to be tougher. Uh, I'm sorry, say again? Yeah. It's cheat grass is what is what our main problem is. Cheat grass? Cheat grass. Okay. 
Yep. Uh, well, the and pre- I went back there, the area where that grass grows. I double sowed it, thinking you know maybe the wheat would get ahead of the grass and choke it out, but I I don't think that did any good. Yeah, it, it often gets started about the same time, and and a lot of our cheatgrass up here in South Dakota will start in the fall, and and that can make it really tough if you get a little bit of moisture in the fall, the cheatgrass gets going, and uh, so farmers are always weighing out: Am I going to get some moisture here to get that cheatgrass going so I can get a Roundup burn down and and take care of most of it before I seed? That would probably be our target up here. Then, yeah, depending on what your rotation is and what kind of restrictions you would have, there are some herbicides that will take it out. They're most effective with fall applications, but early spring applications can burn cheatgrass back too. Yes, sir. Well, like I say, that's that's the question I had, and I'm thankful for the answers I've been given. Uh, I appreciate uh, you uh, having the time to answer these questions. And so, anyhow. You bet. Well, thanks a lot, Wyatt. We really appreciate it. Good luck to you this spring. Thank you. Bye. Got some feedback about uh, grubs, and this this is pretty interesting. Uh, this is from Mark. He's up in Michigan, and he has a turf business. And he said, "Guys, I was listening to you guys talking about white or about grubs in lawns and moles." And he said, while moles can consume grubs, uh, they're often consuming earthworms as well. So just because you have grubs doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a mole problem in your yard. But if you do have damage from grubs, absolutely we're seeing more activity going on out there. And and it certainly can lead to moles as well. So it it isn't always a correlation, but but sometimes it can be. Uh, He he said, I like your recommendation of Merit or imidacloprid for lawns. That's great especially when you're using it in June, July, as it controls the eggs of the adults as they're laid in August, and hence the next generation of grubs. If you've got existing grubs early this spring, though, we're having better luck with Dilox, which is trichlorophon, or 7 or Carbaryl. Those products work killing the existing big grubs that are out there. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark. We really appreciate that extra information there. And uh, knowing that you're in the turf business, uh, I'll take your word for that, that those products are working even better, especially on, on those existing grubs that are out there. Um, that That is a big issue, and I know as, as people see their lawns green up in the spring, they're all excited, but oftentimes we end up with surprises out there like grubs that, that we're always looking for something to do with. Uh, I got one from MB who said, grubs in Brazil, we're calling him, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, MB, Coro. Uh, and he said, that's what we call grubs down here. Uh, got one from TB who says, uh, definitely needed that information on grubs. Now I got to head out to my yard and get them under control. I appreciate that. Uh, Robert F said, why don't you just mow weeds down in shelter belts? You guys were talking about using the low drift 2,4-D or no drift 2,4-D uh, enlist product or Freelex. Yeah, you certainly can. If you've got grass out in shelter belts, you can just keep it keep up with mowing. We certainly did a lot of that growing up around our farm as well. Tried to spray weeds so we didn't have as many out there, but uh, certainly if you get a good grass crop growing underneath the trees, uh, man, it's it's nice and just gives you more opportunity to enjoy time in those shelter belts too. Hey, thanks, Robert. We appreciate that feedback because we really like shelter belts too. Well, thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.